Revelation chapter 6. We have come through the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Uh, Those are the seals that are being opened by Jesus Christ uh, as the Lamb of God in his redemptive form. The first seal, the white horse, the Antichrist, coming forward to deceive the world. The second seal, the red horse, war breaking forth across the planet. The third horse is the black horse, famine, and famine usually follows war. And then the fourth horse is the gray horse, the dapple horse, the chloros horse, and uh, it's death and Hades following. And then it says that horse with war and famine and the beast of the earth, pestilence and so forth, able to take one-fourth of the human race, one-fourth or something about between one and a half and two billion people. This is the first half of the tribulation, by the way. So the first half is no picnic. We come now to, there's not five horses, not the fifth horse, but the fifth seal in verse 9. Let's begin there and let's read to the end of the chapter. It says here, And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, And it was said unto them, they they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. And I beheld, and when he had opened the sixth seal, take note of the low, which is a woe, lo, there was a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth of hair. The moon became as blood. The stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree when it is shaken by a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled up together, and every mountain, every island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth, And the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every slave and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said unto the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb." For the great day of his wrath is come, and the question, who shall be able to stand? So we come to these fifth and sixth seals. Now look, um, as we move through chapters 6 through 19, there are a series of seven things. There is the seven seals. We have six of them here. Then we have a parenthetic chapter that looks back at things that were happening. Then when we get to the seventh seal, 
it opens up and there's seven trumpets. You go through six trumpets and then you look back parenthetically and then finally the seventh trumpet which brings forth seven vials. And they kind of sum up all of God's wrath in dealing with fallen mankind. So it, it definitely to me seems to be sequential as we go through. Hard to be dogmatic about certain things. You don't have to be dogmatic to get what the Lord wants you to have out of these things, what he would speak to our hearts about. Uh, I will be dogmatic where I feel like I need to, and then you can tell me I'm wrong, but uh, that's how we'll fly here. Um, We come to this fifth seal now. It says, when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar... Souls, I don't know how you see souls, the souls of them that were slain, and they were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried, I don't know how souls cry. They cried with a loud voice, I don't know what kind of voice a soul has, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood? On them that dwell on the earth. Now, and obviously they're not asking for revenge personally, but they're asking for the Lord to enact everything the prophets spoke of that would usher in the kingdom. And white robes were given unto every one of them, not most of them, every one of them. And I don't know how a soul wears a robe. We'll get to that. And it was said unto them that they should rest. I didn't know a soul needs rest. They should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. So we come to this picture now. Look, understand today, Gordon Conwell Seminary tells us that half of the martyrs in church history took place over half in the 20th century. The last hundred years saw more Christian martyrs than the 1900 years combined before that. Uh, They say 100 to 160,000 per year now. It's hard, of course, some of them to count some of them because you have to be there. Um, At least 90,000 per year. That that means one every six minutes. That means while we're here this morning for an hour, 10 of them, 10 martyrs. While we're here, 10 of our brethren, we don't know, men, women, children, will be killed for the cause of Christ. Look, and that's the restrained version. The fifth seal, all hell breaks loose. It's it's released. It's unrestrained. Right now, what we're seeing is a restrained version. Look, I think it's important for us to look at this because we're doing this now. The pandemic, COVID, Lord, get us out of here. There's too much suffering. Look, taxes are going to go up again. Lord, get us out of here. We don't know what we're going to do. You know, uh, job market, Lord, get us out of here. You know, just, you know, we, we do this thing now, aren't we? We're kind of feeling that. There's a real urgency. We, we haven't resisted sin to the point of shedding blood. There, there, are pe- there are people around the world that are our brethren. They understand why they want to get out of here. You and I do that because we're sissies. Right, we, we ain't never had to deal with something life-threatening. You know, we're we're headed into a different season. America can't be the last great hope for mankind. It has to be Jesus Christ. God chose us to be here now, so there's something for each of us to do. You know, to occupy till He comes. 
But this is a, but look around the world today, terribly, there are so many being martyred and persecuted. It's just the way that it is because principalities and powers are antagonistic and they hate the church and they hate the light when it shines. In this scene, understand what's taking place. You have the rapture of the church. Relative to the rapture of the church, you have, I believe, little children from every race, every culture, every religious background all over the earth disappearing. Um, You have 144,000 Jewish Billy Grahams preaching everywhere. You have the two prophets seated outside of Jerusalem, which I believe are Moses and Elijah. No, that's my opinion. Um, you have this incredible testimony, and when the rapture takes place, our Bibles don't get raptured. We leave those behind for everybody that's finally going to be interested. And if you're listening and you're not a believer, if we all disappear, help yourself to the bookstore, especially the prophecy section. Um, and if you can find cassettes and CDs and stuff laying around, those are yours. Bless you. Um, But you understand there's such an incredible testimony, and you look at the hatred and the animus. They're killing people for the word of God and for their testimony. They can't stand, because of what's happened in the world, for anybody to talk about Jesus. You and I can still witness. We can share with our families, our friends, because the restrainer is still at work. Through the church, you and I are light and salt. The Holy Spirit restraining the evil in the world. But all that's going to change. And then there's no more restraint. And you would think then, we're going to see some of these people going, wow, this is it. This is really, this is what they talked about. This is the great day of the Lord. And the chapter is going to end here by who is able to stand. Well, then we're going to go to chapter 7 and it's going to tell us who is able to stand. But the tribulation period is going to be the greatest season of evangelism in the history of mankind. Multitudes upon multitudes upon multitudes are going to turn to Christ. Many of them hearing your your testimony now, they're hearing the word of God from you, they're hearing you share. But after these cataclysmic things begin to take place, they're going to turn. We're going to see during that period, it says multitudes upon multitudes in chapter 7 that have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. So um, here we have this scene in heaven. There are the souls of these martyrs under the altar. So there's an altar there in heaven. The altars on earth at the tabernacle and the temple were built according to the heavenly pattern. The altars on earth are where the blood of the sacrifice was poured out under the altar. And it says the life is in the blood. In heaven, the life's obviously not in the blood. They don't have physical bodies at this scene but they're under the altar. It's the place of life. Um, is the altar in the tabernacle and the altar in the temple were those prophetic or is were they built on this scene here? Uh, we're not sure. Uh, these are not um, the church because these are without physical frames. These are souls. The rapture took place those who were dead were raised first, and then those who were alive were caught up together to meet them in the, in the air. So physical frames of believers are with the Lord around his throne at this point in time. Old Testament saints, it seems, are raised 
between the end of the tribulation, then there's a 75-day period, and when the kingdom is set up and they enter into the kingdom. These are those who are martyred during the tribulation, and their souls are there. Remarkably, he can see them. He can hear them. They can speak. It's very remarkable to look at what's happening here in the picture as we look at it. No doubt those are the converts of the 144,000 and the two witnesses and everything else that's been made very clear. If you look over in chapter 7, it says this in 9 and 10. And after this, I beheld and lo, a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, palms in their hands, and they cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation unto our God which sitteth upon the throne. Verse 14 says, I said unto him, Sir, you know, he, he said, Who are these that have come with these white robes and all? And he said, Thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So this great ingathering of people during the tribulation. You don't want to be there. You want to be where we're going to be. That's the, 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 the long way around the barn, believe me. That's the tough way to go. But we look at them here. Look at the condition that they're in. You know, how do they have voices? I don't know. How does he see them? I don't know. Um, how do souls wear robes? This is someplace scholars kill themselves here. How do souls wear robes? You see the explanations they come up with. It doesn't matter. This is not like they're putting on a leather jacket and jeans. These are souls. These, are, these white linens are spiritual. They're not physical. There's something God gives them in heaven. You don't have to spend the rest of your life looking at that. Your, your eight-year-old could tell you what's going on here. And they're clothed with white linen, which is a picture of the righteousness of the saints. And the condition that they're in is important because, look, some people talk about soul sleep. You may have grown up in a church that talks about that. And it's really this depressing, you know, it comes out of purgatory and different things. And what they say is when you die, your body goes in the ground and your soul sleeps inside your body until the resurrection. So that's the blessed hope, to lie in the dirt for 2,000 years before Jesus comes. You know, you got to be kidding me. Some of you are older, you're older, you know what I'm talking about. There's no evidence of that in the scripture. You look at the condition that they're in here. They're, they're conscious. There's no soul sleep. They're under the altar. They're not in the grave. They're crying out. They're able to reason. The Lord's told them to rest for a little while. Paul said he desired to depart and be with Christ, but he remained for the church's sake. He didn't say, I want to sleep in the ground for 2,000 years. He said, I desire to depart and be with Christ. It tells us that Corinthians to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Uh, very interesting. In the Old Testament, 1 Kings 17, when you study the life of Elijah, he ends up with the widow of Zarephath. And while he's there, a miracle takes place with her, with her oil and so forth and her meal. But then her boy, her young boy, dies. And she ends up crying out, this is what I get for and so forth. So it says, Elijah prays for the boy three times. He stretches himself on top of this boy. 
And it says, after they prayed the third time, his soul came into him again. It wasn't there. It had left. It returned. Very interesting, by the way, when you read that on your own, Elijah has no case study. There's nowhere in the Bible anywhere before that where anybody's raised from the dead. He's the first one. He just, all right, God, you can do this. Very interesting. Of course, you have Luke. Jesus says to the thief, today you'll be with me in paradise. He said, didn't say, look, cheer up. You're going to lay in the ground for 2,000 years. I'm gonna, I'll come for you. You just be patient. He says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Luke tells us in chapter 16 about Lazarus and the rich man. They're both conscious. They're not in their bodies. Um, and look, as we look at this here, there's no reincarnation either. Not saying, look, I'm not going to rush through this. If I don't get done, I'll come back as a cat. You know, uh, you know. There's, there's none of that here. The Bible says it's appointed on the man once to die and then the judgment. That's the general rule. We know we have... Elijah, we know we have Enoch, we have a few, few exceptions. I wouldn't bet anything on that in your case. Take note of this too. How many of them have been there? You know, how long have they been there? Have they been there through the whole seven years? Have been there for just two years? They've been burned at the stake? They've been thrown to lions? That's a question because some people will come up and ask me sometimes about cremation. I have an opinion. It's cheaper. <laughs> I used to tell my wife when you know the kids were younger, I said, honey, look, if anything happens to me, burn me. I ain't gonna be there. You know. Honey, I can't do that. We're gonna bury you. You know. I said, honey, the only time we're gonna see money is from insurance if I kick the bucket. Um don't waste it buying a hole in the ground in a wooden box, please. Use it for the kids. You're going to leave you with four kids to do this. And she, then she would say, well, if I die, I, I said, you ain't going to be around to give me, <laughs> give me orders if you die. And you ain't got no insurance, so I need to save all the money I can. <laughs> My aunt, you know, she was 94 and she was dying. Kathy and I were in a room with her. And, and, you know, just talking. She said, well, I'm going to I want to be buried. I don't want to be cremated. You know, so if she had the money, OK, fine. She said, only me. You have to promise me one thing. We said, what, Aunt Marie? What is it? She said, make sure I'm dead. <laughs> she said, I see these movies where somebody wakes up in a coffin in the ground. Just I said, Aunt Marie, by the time The Undertaker is done with you, you ain't waking up. You know, just trust me. You're filled with formaldehyde. You're pickled. You're, you know, you're good. In the Bible, the place where they were buried was called a sarcophagus, which means a flesh eater. And you'd be placed in a sarcophagus. Two years later, a relative would come back. Only thing that would be left is bones. They scrape the bones together, put them in an ossuary, in a pot. And then that spot is open again for someone else in the family. Christians were burned at the stake. They were buried at sea. They were eaten by lions. They were, you know... God doesn't need your physical body for resurrection. <clears throat> he only needs the software. Those are the souls that are under the water. He doesn't need the hardware. He just needs the software. He needs your spirit, your soul. That's all. Because, look, atoms, atomic structure, atoms are fungible. That means they're the same. They work for anything. So as long as he has the design, the software, he can make 
skin molecules, you know, elements. He can make any kind of molecule out of the same atoms because they're fungible. And if he has the, the, the schematic, that's you, resurrection's fine. You get an upgrade, you know. So uh, they're there, souls under the altar. Um, Lord, how long? He said he get, they all receive white robes, you know, just it's almost like a token, you know, rest, he says. Isn't it interesting? He says, until your brethren, your fellow servants are martyred and their deaths fulfill something. Isn't it interesting? Here's our Savior, Jesus, the, the one who loves us with all of his heart. And he says, I have sons and daughters and their death is going to fulfill something. It isn't as though I'm not in control. I can end everything right now, but you wait. There's a broader program. Because sometimes we'll do that. Lord, how, if this is happening, how, if you love me, why are you letting this happen? You love me, you know, why, why is this happening? If you love me. All around the world today, when we do the voice of the martyrs, there, there are Christians, sometimes eight-year-olds, that put their, their neck under the sword to say, I'm not going to deny Jesus Christ. His grace is there, and they make that stand. These martyrs are martyred when Satan has his hands on the world, when God has backed off, and there's no restraint. And there's only two groups, it seems, the multitudes that are getting saved and the multitudes that are hating God and his people. There's no more gray. It's black and white. And this remarkable scene here is brought before us, you know, and I think the Lord wants us to look at it. He wants us to know. He wants us to say, what, you know, we sit here today, okay, Lord, what am I supposed to say? One thing we can say is, look, I'm not in this picture. Thank you. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting raptured. I don't know what I'll have to go through in this world, but you're being clear. Look, he governs all of this. Through all of this, there's still an opportunity. Multitudes are saved. Instead of just shutting down the world, he keeps it on life support. He, ba-boom, clear, ba-boom, he keeps trying to bring it back. He's battling it. He's, you know, he's, he's, he's trying to keep things going until finally when the, the vials are poured out, he's done. His wrath is then full. But even on the most terrible circumstances on earth when the church is gone, he's still trying to turn the hearts of men and women to himself. And it says here there's going to be a multitude to do that, and it's going to cost them their lives. And then it says in verse 12, And I beheld, and when he had opened the sixth seal. Now the sixth seal is going to take us all the way down to verse 17, so let's just read down again and look at it. And look, as we read this, try to imagine the scope of this. This is terrifying. This is beyond anything the world has ever seen. You know, Jesus said there's going to be days coming such as the world has never seen beyond Noah's flood and never will again. So just try to imagine, you know, you and I sit here studying this this morning. Imagine what it's going to be for people when the, when the terra firma, the earth is moving and it's gone, when the sky turns black, the moon turns to blood, you know, it, it says that every strata of society is its victim. Kings and strong men and military men and poor men and rich men. It, it, it impacts the entire globe. This is a global, this sixth seal shakes the whole world. 
And I beheld, when he had opened the sixth seal, that's why he says, lo, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, the moon became as blood, the stars of heaven fell to the earth. Now, I know any of you, like astrology, are saying, that's impossible. One star got close to the earth. We didn't send it right it's, it's a Greek word that can mean stars when they're viewed in the sky. It can mean planets. It can mean meteors. It can mean asteroids. It speaks of any luminous body that might fall or be in the heavens. So he's describing what he sees. And the stars of heaven fell into the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heavens departed as a scroll when it is rolled together and every mountain and every island were moved didn't say they all sung but they were moved out of their places and now here's the cross you know segment of of all society kings those are presidents prime ministers so forth kings of the earth and the great men of the earth and the rich men remember when famine came it said hurt not the wine or the oil in verse 6 and the chief captains, these are all the military leaders. And the mighty men, these are men of strength or influence, you know, that run Twitter or Facebook, whatever they do. And every bondman, every slave, and every free man, they hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us, hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne. It doesn't say they see the face. From the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Now look, they've been instructed by the 144,000. They've been instructed by an innumerable number of martyrs. They've been instructed by the two witnesses outside of Jerusalem. They've been instructed by, you know, some of them friends and relatives that, that were martyred. I mean, that were raptured. Uh, they've been instructed, many of them, their children disappeared in the rapture. So they know that the judgment of God is coming. They've heard it over and over. The God's on the throne. The day of his judgment is coming. The wrath of the Lamb. doesn't say it's all happening here in this verse. It's hard to be dogmatic. The sixth seal, how far into the seven-year period does that take us? It is in the seventh seal that we have the trumpets and the bowls. I don't believe this is the end of the age because we have to get to chapter 16 and it says there all of the rivers and seas of the world are turned to blood. It says the sun heats up seven times and scorches the skin of mankind. It says the kingdom of the beast is in darkness, is in blackness. It says that uh, that the river Euphrates dries up and the, the angels that are bound there gather the kings of the earth to Armageddon. There's no mention of any of that here. This seems to be earlier than that. It seems to be people crying out in terror as there's geological changes that are immeasurable, inconceivable to you and I, but it seems they all settle down again after this. So we have this scene, this earthquake. Um, Kathy and I were living up in the northwest. I used to go drive past Mount St. Helens all the time. I worked in Yakima, Washington for a while. 
We'd go up on Mount Hood. When you got up on Mount Hood, you could see Mount Rainier on a clear day. You could see Mount St. Helens on a clear day. And that thing blew its stack, Mount St. Helens. They said it was equivalent to a 50 megaton detonation. One megaton is 50 times Hiroshima. A 50 megaton detonation. Uh, There was ash and clouds for days everywhere. I remember when that happened. Um, Krakatoa, and he he studied these things or looked at them. An island, volcanic, that built up pressure, and and it just blew. That was August 27th, 1883. The explosion, the island disappeared. But the explosion was heard, listen, 3,000 miles away. People heard it. Tides and tsunamis traveled 7,000 miles. Almost all the way around the, you know, third of the way. It changed weather for two years on the planet. I have this uh, book, and you can't have it. Um, it's, I collect these things. This one's the Handbook of Unusual Natural Phenomena. I have one that's um, Human Anomalies. I have one that's uh, Archaeological and Anthropological Artifacts They Can't Explain. But this one's great here. Um, and it says this. Oh, there's one chapter I can't do. I can't get into it. But it's just, it's falling matter. One chapter is falling matter. Fish, frozen fish, just falling from the sky. Frogs, turtles in different places. Hay, uh, blocks of ice as 10 foot across. And this one incident, just for the ladies, there's a place, I I think it was in Louisville, um, snakes fell from the sky. Thousands and thousands and thousands. They were all between 12 inches and 18 inches long, and they were everywhere then. You can go home and think about that now. Uh, You know, Isaiah tells us as we're looking uh, at these things, Isaiah says, And all the hosts of heaven shall be dissolved, the heavens shall be rolled together like a scroll, all their hosts shall fall down. As the leaf falleth off the, uh, from the vine, and as a fig tree fr- from the figs, it just tells us there what he had said to us, tells us this in Isaiah, the earth shall reel to and fro like a drunken man, and shall be removed like a cottage, and the, tr- uh, the transgression thereof shall be heavy upon it, and it shall fall and not rise again. We're told in Joel chapter 2, about the sun, same thing, going dark and so forth. Uh, the, the Old Testament prophets spoke of this, but we see the scene of it here. I have this, this one chapter in here is strange phenomenon related to earthquakes. <clears throat> and it says when there are earthquakes, this one section says, there are intense electrical activity reported during, before and after quakes. Usually, and by the way, more people have died in earthquakes than any other natural phenomenon. We don't think of it sometimes, but it says here, unusual luminescent phenomenon seen in the sky have been classified into these categories. Indefinite, instantaneous illuminations, lightning and brightenings, 
sparks or sprinkles of light, thin luminous stripes or streamers, well-defined and mobile luminous masses, fireballs, ball lightning, columns of fire, maybe the earth being rolled like a scroll, beams of fire, horizontal and oblique, luminous funnels, bright flames and emanations, flames following earthquakes, little flames, many sparks, luminous uh, vapor, phosphorescence in the sky and clouds. The classification is somewhat ambiguous, but is rather descriptive of luminous events associated with earthquakes. Then when the, the other section, it tells us here, the Earth's axis of rotation proceeds through the, the different astrological positions. The wobble is slight at 0.5 seconds of, max, uh, of arc maximum and has a period of 14 months called the Chandler wobble after S.C. Chandler, who discovered it in 1891. This minuscule nodding or wobbling motion should die out quickly, according to geophysicists, but it doesn't, and no one knows why. We know why. We know who the wobbler is. Something must add energy to the wobble motion to keep it going. In 1967 and 1968, uh, L. Manusa and D. A. Steyer of the University of Western Ontario claimed that large earthquakes fed energy into the wobble. The sudden axis uh, of shifts of mass of earthquakes made the planet lurch. Other geophysicists suggested the reverse, that it is the wobble that might excite earthquakes rather than vice versa. Still others opined that an unrecognized third factor might cause the quakes and the wobble. That's, that's our chapter here. Un, another unrecognized force might do that. So you look at this scene. Could, you know, could it be from the war? Uh, yeah, it could be. Chuck Missler, who used to come all the time, uh, was the head of the, he was the branch chief of the guided missile department for the Air Force. So he was the head of it for a while. And uh, he developed Philco, and that went to the Air Force with him. And he, uh, he said, our equations tell us that if there are 25 to 30 10-megaton weapons detonating at the same time, it can put the Earth in a wobble. It can move it off its axis. The question is, when it gets into this wobble, so is it going to go back to a 360-day year? It seems like it from a 365-day year because all the prophecies are 360 days. Um, we don't want to be here for this. You do not want to be here for this. Please listen. If you're not saved this morning, take my word. You do not want to be here for this. Or snakes falling out of the sky, any of that, but... You don't want to be there here for this. So it says this quake, it shakes the whole earth. It's a great quake. It says the sun became black. The sun is blacked out. Uh, we saw dark days in Egypt. God shut the lights off except in Goshen. It Golgotha, the sky turned black for three hours. Um, the Lord can do this however he wants to. There is a chapter in here. Um, 
It is called Dark Days, New England's Dark Day of 1780. Some observations made by Nathan Reed, a student at Harvard, um, May 19, 1780, at 10.30 a.m., uncommon degree of darkness commenced. At 11 o'clock, the darkness still increasing. Mr. Wigglesworth was not able to read his large print Bible by the window. Fowls went to roost as if it was evening. The darkness still increasing. Mr. Wigglesworth was unable to read the title, Large Bible. Candles are in common use. Frogs began to sing. Evening birds are singing. Uh, The Connecticut legislature in session at Hartford that day, it was as the darkness gathered, the journal of the State House of Representatives reads, none could see or read or write in the house or even the window or distinguished persons at a small distance or perceive uh, with distinction uh, of dress in the circle of attendance. Um, another one talks about a volcanic eruption in Timbora Mountain, 1814, and it says, at, it says, when that took place, at a distance of 300 miles, it was pitch dark for three days. Ashes were carried by the monsoon a distance of 1,200 miles, and for 10 days he was obliged to write by candlelight right there's a whole there's whole sections of them here natural phenomenon where the sky went black and there was no answer for it and it says some people in happen thought it was the end of the world people freaked out well this is going to be the end of the world this one whether it's from the earthquake whether it's from nuclear exchange uh, whatever the process we see these huge every earthquake now is restrained you know, and you'll see 100,000 people die in China. You'll see tens of thousands die in Iran. Uh, you know, the one with the tsunamis a few years ago and just the people in the, in the, uh, the Pacific there that were, were drowned. And that's all restrained. But at some point, it'll be unrestrained. And the Lord says those quakes are going to be part of the signs of his return. Along with this, there's going to be darkness. The stars falling, again, we know they're not stars. Moon becoming as blood, Old Testament saints and prophets talked about this. And it says, the earth, they're going to fall like a fig tree casting its untimely figs. And the heaven departed as a scroll. That's a tough one. That could be nuclear detonation. Again, Isaiah uh, says, and all the hosts of heaven shall be dissolved and the heavens shall be rolled together as a scroll. Isaiah 34 the Old Testament prophets saw this. Uh, it's one of the phenomenons of great plateless shifts. A, 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 you know, a global quake produces these kind of things. John's just telling us what he observed. And it says, The heaven was rolled up like a scroll together. Every mountain and island are moved. So it's interesting. You know, he watches the Antichrist. He watches war. He watches famine. He watches death. And then his attention's taken to heaven. Then he sees the souls under the altar. He hears everything going with that. Then his attention is back to earth again for this great quake and all of these things that are taking place. And the heavens, which means the atmosphere, it's not the second heavens or the third heavens, it it, it rolled up like a scroll. There's this rolling motion. Every mountain and island are moved. And then it says in verse 15, look, 
the kings of the earth, those are prime ministers, presidents, leading men in each country, great men, their attendants, their cabinet, whoever that might be, rich men, nobody's exempt, chief captains, the word there is from the you know generals, military leaders, mighty men, these are men is strength in the Greek with influence and so forth, every bondman, doulos, every slave, Every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. No one, no strata of society at this point in time is escaping what's taking place. Look, you can, you can read the articles. Very interesting. Some of the billionaires in the world are buying mountain real estate in New Zealand and building these big palatial palaces right into the side of a mountain, having them bored out. They're getting themselves set up for World War III. You know, there are people that are doing this. He said, this is going to be so far beyond that that men are going to cry to the mountains to fall upon. Instead of crying to God, like all of these martyrs that were saved during this time, their stubbornness, they're actually crying to the mountains to fall on them. And they said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, which they've heard much about. For the great day of his wrath is come. And here, of course, is their question, who will be able to stand? Now, by the way, chapter 7 answers that question. It tells us, in fact, who is able to stand. You want to be standing, but you want to be standing in chapter 5, verse 9, around the throne, saying, who is worthy to open the scroll and loose the seals thereof, and so forth. You know, the one who died for us and washed in his blood. We're going to be standing there. You guys with me? We'll see each other there. We're glad we ain't going to be standing here. If you are here and you won't listen and you're stubborn and you get saved after we disappear... You'll be standing here in verse 10, saying, "How long, Lord, before you avenge our death?" You know, you don't want to. You know, that's that's tougher. But then there's the last group standing, begging the rocks to fall on them instead of begging God for His mercy. You don't want to be standing there. Who is able to stand? Chapter 7 is going to tell us. Look, and God, He rolls all this out, you know, so we can see it. We have His Holy Spirit turning these words into images in our hearts. And we have to sit back, we look at it and think, the scope of this is unimaginable. And God, again, all of this is limited. and It gets more severe as it goes on over the chapters. Because it says, twice in Ezekiel tells us specifically, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He says, turn ye, turn ye, why will you die? God says, I have no pleasure, I have no delight, I have no fulfillment when I see wicked people die. Because they're image bearers and there is a means of salvation. No matter how wicked they are, they can turn to Christ and be forgiven. God says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But then he says in the Psalms, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. That that is precious to him. Now, because I'm a carnal man, I'm the opposite. I take delight in the death of the wicked. 
Lord, look, if he ain't going to save him, don't let him use up oxygen. Just take him out of here now. You know, just this guy, you know, just what, what, take this guy out. And then when somebody did a couple of funerals last week, you know, people in church that you know and you love, then you're like, oh, Lord, I can't believe you took this one. This, you know, just that's exa- exactly the opposite of the heart of God. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but he rejoices. Precious to him is the death of his saints because our father has his son or his daughter out of this mess and back at his table where they belong. He's prepared a table before us in the presence of our enemies. That's so different than us. And as we go through these terrible scenes over the next few weeks, I, I just want you to remember that. God is brokenhearted through this whole process. We're going to see evidences of that. He's just. He will do what a just God will do. His righteousness. His wrath. Those things will be upheld. Um, but he is not vindictive like a human being. There's, there's not venom in it. There's not, you know, the way we lose our temper and get angry. This is way thought out and way governed. And, way, and he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, look, you can sit here and say, what? the heck did I wander into? You know, just, I, I should have stayed some of nightmares. Look, we're studying the Bible. We didn't write this. We didn't write it. Jesus is dictating. John is writing what Jesus is saying. And Jesus is saying these things are going to come on the world in the days we're living in now. Because we see Israel back in the land and so forth. If you don't know Christ, you've never been saved. Forget about church. Forget about denominations. Forget about religion. Do you know Jesus? He's the one who's coming back. And you can know him before you leave today. We're going to have the musicians come. We'll sing the last song. But if you want to be saved today, you make your way up here during the last song, after the last song. Pastors will be here. We'd love to give you a Bible, some literature to read. But you need to make sure you're standing in the right place when all of this goes down. There's some places you want to stand, some places you do not want to stand. And these things are unavoidable. They're going to shake the entire planet. And the only way to escape it is right now, walking down here. The only means of escape is the blood of Jesus Christ. And God is not angry. It says, God so loved the world, the sinful, rebellious world, that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever, that's how I got in. Whosoever would believe would not perish, but have everlasting life. You can change your destiny today. Let's stand. Let's pray together. Who is able to stand? There you go. (laughs) Father, we thank you for these things as we look at them, Lord. Um, Hard to digest. Lord, to, to, to step further and further back and get a larger panorama of this is troubling, Lord. It's unimaginable, Lord. The fear, the, the awe, the terra firma gone under the feet of multitudes. Lord, help us to be evangelists while we're here. Lord, help remind us that every person we lead to Christ and eternity has changed, that eternity itself has changed. Lord, fill us with your spirit that your love might be shed abroad from our hearts, Lord. We are rookies here, Lord. Don't let us undertake 
the rest of our pilgrimage in the strength of the flesh, Lord. Fill us afresh with your spirit. Let these things be things that we store in our hearts. Let them bear fruit. Father, we pray in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Amen.